Welcome back to another episode of The Encouraging Word. I'm here with uh, Stephen, our Director of Youth Ministries. This is Paul, and uh, we're on staff at Rocky River United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. We've been going for uh, several years now and uh, continue to go strong. We thank you for our uh, loyal listeners that have been with us throughout, and uh, for those new folks who have jumped on board and, and have uh, started to ride the train with us in maybe recent months. So, we're excited to uh, turn the corner from Thanksgiving and start to look Christmas in the face, and it's uh, amazing that we're already here. I'm, I'm still baffled. I guess the older you get, the faster time goes, is, is how I understand it, and that is uh, absolute reality, but we're uh, staring Christmas in the face, and so for uh, the next couple of episodes, we're of course going to be covering something Christmassy, because it would be a complete violation of natural order to do anything else uh, and because Stephen and I love Christmas we're not uh, Grinches in any way shape or form uh, hint hint and, and that's actually where we're going with our next couple of episodes the church is uh, covering the Advent study of the heart that grew three sizes that's a, a book by Pastor Matt Roll and it uh, brings the story of the Christ child uh, alongside that of the Grinch and how the Grinch stole Christmas and so we will be uh, covering content from that book and, and uh, answering some questions of our own uh, that we project towards that book. Should be a, a rousing couple of episodes here, and hopefully we'll help you get in the, the Christmas spirit uh, and, and at the same time help us uh, think differently and in new ways about uh, some of those old <coughs> Christmas concepts. So uh, welcome aboard, friends. We always start with our fit segment, those things in uh, Stephen and I's uh, lives that are either funny or interesting or thought-provoking. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Stephen so he can share first. Hi, everyone. And uh, uh, mine, I'm trying to think of how mine fits into fit. Ooh. Maybe it's maybe it's funny. I think it's, it's funny. I guess it's, for me, it's a little bit of everything. But um, <clears throat> so I recently, um, they recently released the trailer for the Mario movie, <laughs> and I don't know how many people of our video game fans here, but Mario is is definitely the most recognizable video game character. Um, I think I saw that as a poll question. Like, I think it's Mario, Pac-Man, but Mario is probably the highest and most recognizable video game character. So perhaps maybe this will appeal to someone out there, uh, but it looks really good. This is kind of a, um, there have been some adaptions to make Mario into some sort of TV show or movie, but this is the first mega production. Um, the same people who <clears throat> animated the um, what movie? Are it? Uh, the Minion movies, the Despicable, Despicable Me, Me movies. Okay. Yeah, the same. That's the same company that animated them, or animated the Mario movie, and it looks really, really good. Animation looks amazing. Looks funny. Um, comes out in April, which is also my birthday, so any gifts you want to send to me in April, you can give me a ticket to the film. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It looks, it's just kind of interesting to see a character that's so iconic and made into a really good animated film, and looks looks really fun. So, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, they can still make good movies after all these years, <laughs> yeah. a lot of them in my, uh, opinion are duds but yeah. i saw the trailer and i'm i am equally intrigued so yeah, uh, mario here we come what's right. it is it just called the mario movie or? yeah it's called i think it's called super mario movie i'm, I'm 
I'm okay. pretty sure that's what it's yeah. called. Poor Luigi. But... You know, he always, <laughs> always is a, glam- always he's a sidekick. So, yeah, he's it's always... like uh, Robin to <laughs> Batman. Right. Yeah. That's funny. But uh, I'm sure he'll have a prominent role as well. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Uh, for my fifth segment this this uh, time around, I am going to share a, uh, an encounter that my son and I had while uh, driving through the Metro Parks recently. We uh, were rounding a, a corner and... You saw Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, no, Bigfoot doesn't live in Ohio. Excuse yeah, that's true. He's, yeah, in Ohio. he's down south. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't Bigfoot, but it was uh, something equally rare and uh, legendary it was um something that that is white and if you were to see a large white creature in the the uh, woods in the metro parks what would you think it was a unicorn a unicorn yeah. that's right <laughs> no no actually it's not right no but good guess, good guess. it did have horns wait did it have horns it had no, no horns sorry yeah no horns <laughs> It was not a polar bear. It was not a cow, although that was honestly the only <laughs> thing I, could, I yeah, thought of. Wild cow. cows, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was actually an albino deer, a white-tailed oh, wow. deer that had more than just a white tail. It was uh, it was almost entirely white with some, some uh, brown markings, and it was uh, beautiful. And I looked, of course, up when I got home to see how rare that, that is, and there uh, seems to be a discrepancy whether it's one in... Uh, 30,000 deer or one in 100,000 deer that are albino. It's uh, a product of um, two parent deers, I guess. <laughs> Is that what they're called, parent deers? Yeah. Yeah, they're still parents. Right? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, they have that, that uh, it's a recessive gene. <clears throat> so both have to have that gene for the fawn to come out albino. And uh, so it's that rare, and we get to see it. We um, when we rounded the corner and, and saw that out in the woods, didn't know exactly what it was just yet, but uh, it was exciting enough that I, I stopped the car and got out and we went uh, over to the edge of the woods and took some pictures and crept in a little bit closer without startling it, and uh, it was a, a fun experience. So I'm a, kind of an outdoorsy guy to start with, and, and spotting um, wildlife is one of my favorite things about it. So for me, <laughs> for others, it may not be a, a huge deal, but for me, that was the highlight of, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know, the year. Not yeah. really. The morning, <laughs> at least, and yeah. probably a little bit more. So uh, it's it's always fun to share a little bit of our lives with you, but uh, we have uh, bigger fish to fry. So let's move on and begin digging into the... Uh, Advent book, Our Heart That Grew Three Sizes by Matt Rawl once again. And we're going to start with just uh, chapter one and two this time with the intent to come back to you again before Christmas and cover the third and fourth chapters. Uh, And if you have a copy of the book and perhaps you've signed up for a study and and you're uh, reading right along with us, that's that's great. If you haven't signed up for a study, you can still uh, grab a copy of the book and read it so that you are in the know when you sit down and, and listen to the sermons on Sunday, because the sermons are covering this as well. And if you have not read any of the book and know nothing about uh, what we're talking about, hopefully you've at least seen a rendition of the, the story of the Grinch, and some of that will connect. Um, uh, but hopefully our questions will, will still be meaningful for you if that's the case. So the first is uh, specific to the story of the Grinch, really. And it's uh, simply this. The story doesn't tell us why the Grinch hated Christmas. Matt Rawl points this out early in his book. 
uh, the, the opening scene of the story just has the Grinch up on Mount, what's the... Crumpet? Crumpets, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. That sounds like a good mountain for a Grinch to live on. <laughs> yeah. But uh, just, you know, spewing all sorts of hate about the Who's and, and Christmas and their festivities, but it doesn't say why. It doesn't say why the, the Grinch hated Christmas. So I, we thought it would be interesting to ponder why perhaps the Grinch has arrived at this point in life and and uh, is is uh, spewing all this hatred about Christmas. <clears throat> so um, as I, I ponder this, anything that we offer is just conjecture. We really can't say for sure. But um, I'm, I'm wondering... First of all, why the Grinch is a Grinch? Is the Grinch, uh, <laughs> is that his species? Because he's clearly not a who. That's true. I know. That's, that's true. There's nothing else. There's no other. There's no other Grinch type. <laughs> no. Anim people around, I guess. <laughs> yeah, people. Do we call it Grinch people? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a dog. Right. And there's the who's. Right. And is there, are there any other wild animals? Nope. or anything? I think I just think so. the Grinch and the at least dog. In the, and the at least in the traditional one. Right, yeah. There's I guess so many adaptions now that's true. to the Grinch story. So I, I wonder how uh, <coughs> perhaps lonely the Grinch might be if yeah. he's the only existing Grinch um, or right. creature that happens to be a Grinch in right. existence. And he is uh, living in isolation, so he's not experiencing <laughs> community. You know, So that right. clearly has to be a part of it as well. Right. And whether there was a, an incident that prompted that and, and caused him to seek that out or whether that was something that was forced upon him early on, right. uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't Which, help but relate him to a little bit uh, the Lord of the Rings character. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, Smeagol. Smeagol, yeah. yeah. That's true. Was, I didn't uh, obsessing over the ring and just goes mm. crazy. And I wonder if he started as a who... And something, <laughs> some, something in life, uh, you know, changed him and, and yeah. twisted him inside out, and he's become a Grinch over time. Nuclear explosion or something. Yeah. Nuclear <laughs> accident. Because <laughs> right. he's pretty different. He's, he's extremely different. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's kind of my surface level um, explanation as to why he might be so hateful of Christmas. But I, I guess I didn't answer why Christmas. Why you know, life in general, yeah, but why is he hateful of Christmas? Maybe because he he feels so isolated from the Who's and he is uh, so self-conscious about his isolation and is uh, jealous of the life that they live that he pinpoints exactly what it is that brings him the most joy and that is what he's determined is going to bring him the most revulsion and that is their Christmas celebration, the highlight of their year. So... Uh, to take it maybe another layer deeper, uh, perhaps that's why the Grinch hates Christmas. Any thoughts, uh, Stephen? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would agree with everything that you just said. I think mine would probably be just, and I don't know if we'll get more into this with the other questions, but I think it's the, the vanity of it all, um, because uh, the loud songs and gifts and stuff, and, and you may even say his own miss, um his own lack of understanding of, of the Who's, because at the end of the story, when all the Who's lose everything, which he think that would cause them to like not like Christmas or Christmas would be over, they ended up singing, right? And that's mm -hmm. how his heart has changed, because he sees that all the stuff, um, 
didn't change the who's from who they were. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so I nice. uh, dropped that little in there. Um, so I think maybe the vanity of it all, at least in the beginning, and then he realizes that it's more true. So we might get more into that later, but yeah, that's good. Um, so I think that's what I would probably say, um, and definitely loneliness. And I know, like, since I said there's so many different Grinch stories out there, mm-hmm. um, but the, especially the Jim Carrey one tries to answer why he's on a mountain alone, and it's kind of like the kids made fun of him, which makes sense because he's the only green guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And some kid gives him a razor and he can't shave his face and he gets all... Have you seen the Jim, Jim, I, Jim Carrey The more one? you describe it, the more I feel like I, maybe I've seen parts <laughs> of it, but I yeah. clearly haven't seen the whole yeah. thing. There are some... There are some funny parts in it, um, yeah. and there's some of the parts have been made into memes. Um, but he like tries to shave and he can't shave, and that's like the last straw, and he runs away and something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, but that's <laughs> that's the Jim Carrey version, right. not the Doctor Seuss. Right. So, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, someone tries. To, I mean, people try to answer why. So, um, the next question I have is kind of, kind of a Grinch type question. Um, are there things about the Christmas season that you don't like? Things about the Christmas season that make you grunchy. Is that right? Grun- grunchy? 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 Is that a grunge thing? Make you grungy, yeah. Is that a music genre? Yeah. Yeah. I start to look like a grunge rock band member at Christmas because... So, anything? Thank oh, you, Grinch. Right. Oh well, I can. I'll answer. <laughs> I'll answer for you. Oh, for me, yeah. Well, I'll answer for myself. Well, okay. you think about your answer. I, I'm still processing um, what Grinchy. Means. Let's see. <laughs> let's yeah. see. Um, anything? Probably for me would be. Uh, probably just the over. I think the over over marketing of Christmas is probably mm-hmm. mine. It's just like, um, and I, I think this is one of our questions that we get to, but you could understand kind of how the Grinch could be Grinch like, um, with all the vanity around, right. um, and I just think it's you know sometimes it's over the top. Even though I say like all the marketing and gifts and stuff, but it's like, at the same time, you're like, well, I like to receive gifts, so it's like, you know, even though it's, and I think the book that we're looking at, Three Hearts, or Three Hearts, The Heart That Grew, um, Three Sizes, speaks about different things about Christmas that kind of make it, can make it difficult, um, and uh, I think it's just the sense that it, it just becomes so corporate, too, mm-hmm. That it's all about, like all these companies are starting Christmas so early because they know this is what they need to make their bottom lines. Um, so it's just kind of pushed on you, and um, maybe that's the thing I don't like about Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something I'll say. Yeah, I, I, I guess I would align with you as well. I, I mean, I, 
I don't like fruitcake, so that's, that's a big <laughs> I've one. actually never eaten a fruitcake. I don't even think I've even seen a fruitcake. I've just seen it in it's movies. The tradition's going out of style, maybe. Yeah, I think Maybe because everybody doesn't like <laughs> Right. They, <laughs> like, I've never even had it. Like, I don't even want to taste it because it's been such a bad rap for fruitcake. Right, like, right, right. So. Or eggnog, right? Do you drink eggnog? Yeah, I like eggnog. You do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. It's funny, the youth, though, like, a lot of youth didn't, never had it. And have you had it? I, a long time ago. Oh, so my goodness. It's not that bad. I think uh, both fruitcake and eggnog are things that people make a mockery of at Christmas. Really? So if you grow up as, as a youth and, <laughs> and it's not in your family, then you just assume it's disgusting because the I feel like not, tells you it is. I feel like fruitcake more than eggnog, but, yeah, I understand what you're saying, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know, which kind of overlaps with what we're talking about here—the the over commercialization and, and how the media can twist and contort, you know, what it's really all about. And uh, so, yeah, I I would agree with you. I think that how it, it works is anything that that human beings get excited about and want to pour time and energy into is going to turn into an industry. It's going to turn <laughs> into. It's going to become corporate and right. commercialized, and so that's how the world yeah. works. So we, we can't sit here and grumble about it because we've created the monster, uh, in essence, and right. so we're just dealing with it. But that being said, that doesn't mean we have to like the monster. And, you know, when I walk in a store, um, I think uh, Reverend Dan brought this up during his sermon the other day, you know, when you walk in the day after Halloween and there are already Christmas decorations in the store and they're, they're playing Feliz Navidad and, you know... And, <laughs> And you're just not ready yet. You're not there yet. Um, is is a little overwhelming and a little much. <clears throat> so commercialization for me is the biggest biggest frustration. And and then uh, maybe going a little bit um, outside of the the intent of the question. But I think I always I always take pause in the middle of the Christmas season and and seeing everything around me and and I remember that there are people um, whether on any particular year because of something that's happened or just every year because of maybe how they're wired or just circumstances in their lives. But uh, some people for whom Christmas is not exciting, and, and generally speaking, if, if you are in a place where Christmas is not joyful that year, not only is it not joyful, it actually becomes a symbol of how um, upset or, or, or uh, depressed or whatever it is that you are and it becomes detestable rather than joy-filled because you see everybody around you immersed in it, and it just makes things, it multiplies the, the problem, makes it worse. So I always have in the back of my mind that reality. There are people out there that are not in that mode, um, and that's and I think we we overlook them, um, and so that that is uh, another part of Christmas that I'm not too keen on, and that's really on us. That's not on, it's not on Christmas, but... Uh, Nonetheless, question number three, you good with that? Any other revelations? Uh, I think one thing I'll add to is just sometimes, especially being a parent too, you think of <clears throat> the vanity of it all somewhat because it's <laughs> especially hard when you have young kids and you get them a gift and it doesn't, it takes, mm. that gift holds their interest for just Christmas day. <laughs> but I promise you, if we got them gifts and we walked into the store that same day, they would want <laughs> They would want something off the shelves, so it's just like, you know, the, the uh, insatiable human desire for things, and and, and that that right. desire lives within me too, because it's I mean, 
It's like you get things for Christmas and you're already looking for the next thing. I mean, it just takes no time at all. Um, so it's kind of and like what he talks about in the book where when there's no peace, there's not like this sense of contentment and true peace. Even when you've received a ton of things, you just mm-hmm. you're still you're still um, there's still a void. Those things yep. can't um, fill that void. So right, yeah, yeah. They're hollow. All right. Yeah, no, that's well said. It, yeah, Christmas is as wonderful as it is. It just feeds the other beast of uh, human materialism. <laughs> right. And the saddest part maybe is that our kids are right in the middle. Oh of yeah, it, and, and they can't. We have to yeah. wrestle with how to right kind of balance right. that. And they're not really aware of it too. Especially my girls being so young, they're not aware of like. Hey, I have an insatiable appetite for stuff. <laughs> right, like, right, yeah. As a human, as like as you become an adult, you're like, wow, look, I am truly not content with yeah, what I have, and yeah. we can either choose to like be thankful, or we can choose to, like, you know what, I'm just gonna go shop anyways. But as a kid, they don't even know like it's just no. part of their nature. It's like, oh yeah, I want more stuff. Yeah. So. And it's also frustrating, too, when they play with boxes over the item that you get them. So <laughs> right. just shows, again, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the lack of... Well, and it, it, it can be frustrating, or we can learn from <laughs> right. it. And year one, we get a toy, year two, we <laughs> give boxes, them boxes. And our kids are probably better <laughs> yeah. for it. Right, right. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, so Roll talks about the Christmas story being good news to those who have the right oh. lens on, this concept of having the right lens on for Christmas and seeing it from the right uh, perspective is a, a big topic in Chapter 1. So the question is, with the wrong lens on, if we don't have the proper lens on, if we instead have a worldly lens on or, or, or a different lens on, what aspects of the good news of Christmas can be misunderstood or uh, rejected by people? So if you are not approaching Christmas the way that God would desire us to approach it, and you're seeing it in other ways, what is it that you're going to miss? Or what is it that you're going to misunderstand or uh, contort into something that it's not and um, I mean this is a multi-layer question but you know for me if we think about the true purpose for which Jesus comes um, does anybody really have the right lens on on Christmas with all the traditions that <clears throat> pull us um, you know some of them directly away from that in the opposite direction some of them just uh, are, are neutral and have no connection to it but I think if you have the wrong lens on, and Christmas is about commercialization and materialism and even um, things that are not necessarily evil or wrong in and of themselves, but are not intended to be the focus of Christmas, like uh, some of the silly traditions that we've created, it, it, I don't think there's anything wrong with having those be a part of your Christmas. But if that's truly your focus and that is the lens through which you see Christmas, then I think you're going to miss um, the simplicity of it all. I think you're going to miss the humility of, of Christ in, in the midst of uh, the story. I think you're going to miss the redemption piece, the fact that Christ came to save the lost, that that was the purpose for the incarnation. And, and instead of uh, sitting around celebrating ourselves and those closest to us on Christmas, maybe if we had the right lens on, we would be uh, seeing Christmas uh, as a, uh, an opportunity to uh, seek out those who need to be um, brought the good news and uh, demonstrated that good news through acts of love and, 
and kindness. Um, so I think there are a lot of things you miss about Christmas if you don't have the right lens on. And I, I think really the reason <laughs> that Christmas has to happen is, is because we're fallen, we're broken. And so I think if you're not approaching Christmas in a sense of humility and and just extreme gratitude for the sacrifice that God is making on our behalf, um, then you're missing the whole point. And it's so hard to approach Christmas with that lens on because of all the ways that we celebrate it that seem to contradict that. And uh, so it, it really is very difficult to have that correct lens on when we approach this holiday season. Yeah, <clears throat> I would agree with all of that. I think um, Jesus is... Um, definitely misunderstood and I would say even rejected in um, during during Christmas because it's <clears throat> I think a, the show one of the shows that my girls watch um, on one of the cartoon shows they watch and the the characters basically are celebrating or doing everything that you would do in Christmas but they don't call it Christmas <laughs> they call it like the season of uh, winter they call it some name um, and I'm like, wow, it's literally, they're taking everything from Christmas, but not calling it Christmas. Um, and I just think just the, just Jesus in general. But also I would say, I think, when I think about it, I think gifts are misunderstood mm -hmm. and, and during Christmas, and it's kind of the central theme. Because when I think about it, when I think deeply about it, it's like, when we give gifts, we're not... I don't know if it's much as giving as as it is an exchange of equal or lesser like equal or greater value gifts to each other. <laughs> so it's yeah, like it's true. <laughs> so like each time we give a gift, and again I say this while swimming in the waters of of what we do, you <laughs> yeah. know. But you know, if I gave say I gave Paul a pencil, and like it's a plain number two pencil, but he gave me I don't know a some drone or something <laughs> Paul would be upset that I gave him a pencil and I would be over in the moon because you know yeah. I gave a pencil and I got a this amazing expensive gift in return a cool 3d drone or a video game or something like this just really cool and Paul would be like well I hope you're happy but you know yeah. in essence Paul would hold a grudge because he's like I just spent all this money on you and you spent nothing on me like yep. a, a pencil from your kitchen drawer or something like that <laughs> so like just that simple example i think shows like every time we give gifts and i think when he talks about in the book on unmet expectations that i feel like christmas is almost defined by unmet expectations i feel like every christmas there's an expectation not just on what you get but you're like well this is going to be the perfect holiday season we're all get together we're all be have a great time and um, and there's always something that comes up that throws a wrench in it. And it just the season never quite lives up to what we desire, which um, we could also, I mean, it's also a deep train of thought is that uh, maybe our greatest desire is truly being in the presence of God and in and, 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 and heaven with him, that that heavenly presence with God is our greatest desire and nothing, not even Christmas and all the gifts that we receive can, can fill that. Um, so there's always unmet expectations. But anyways, yeah, I just feel like gifts, it's more like an exchange. And then again, like I said before, like I I swim in those waters because I would be upset. You know, <laughs> so like I spent all this money on you and then you give me that. And even though I shouldn't be, and I probably like I would, I don't know, you know, and 
And I think what Scripture says is it's more blessed to give, more blessed to give than it is to receive. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, that's kind of a leap of faith to believe that. To be honest, because uh, you when you think of gifts, you always feel like to give is not as great as to get. Mm-hmm. But those times when I have taken that step of faith and actually given gifts to people. Um, especially if they need it or especially if it's something they've always wanted, there is a sense of joy. You're like, man, that's so great. They get to use it. And and you, I, you know, and I think it is, I think scripture is true, right? So it is true. It is better to give than it is to receive. But it's such a, I mean, you literally have to break your mental, mm-hmm. um, your desires and, and break your worldly thinking because it's just so anti thinking to think that it's better to uh, give than it is to receive but um yeah i would think gifts is misunderstood during christmas oh for sure yeah and while you look at the the story of christmas and the only people receiving gifts are mary and joseph essentially jesus right Right. yeah so the gifts are given to the christ child right and we've Somehow, over the years, twisted that yeah. into we should all get a bunch of stuff. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And instead of um, celebrating right. the one and only true gift that means anything on Christmas, right. which is the, the gift of Christ Himself, we, right. our focus has become on all the worldly things that we're right. going to get <laughs> instead. Right. And we train our children uh, in uh, that yeah. early on, and right. and I think you know we want our kids and people in general to feel the incredible excitement of receiving a, a great gift right and feeling right. loved and cherished and right. of course that's where it comes from right um but somehow <laughs> all the subtleties and and kind of the mind games that go on behind the scenes that Stephen was talking about uh those become interlaced with it and it it turns into something not quite as pure as what we intended right and yeah i don't think there's anything wrong with giving gifts it's probably i think we'll get to this later but it's probably more that where is your attitude and intent when you're giving these gifts? Are you giving these gifts purely with the attitude to, to receive nothing in return? No matter what you receive in return, it doesn't matter. You're just happy to give the gift. Or is your giving the gift the motivated by, I know I'm getting something in return, you know? Right. So, right. Um, yeah, I'm not like, oh, there should be no gifts on Christmas. I do mm-hmm. wonder if uh, this would be a fun research project, like how much Christmas has changed from the very original first mm-hmm. Christmas, mm-hmm. Um, which I haven't really done a lot of research on how, what was the original first Christmas? Um, and like, could it, could they even recognize it now? Has it been changed so much? They're like, wow, wow this is not even original intent of right. what it was. So, um, next question as we move into, so all those, all those topics that we talked about, um, and questions are kind of coming from the first chapter of the book, um, the heart that grew three sizes. So now we're going to kind of have questions that are formulated and um, brought out from the second chapter of the book. Um, and the question we have is, uh, the Jim Carrey version, which we've kind of mentioned already, the Jim, Jim Carrey version of the Grinch um, presents the Grinch at times as being worthy of our sympathy and the Who's are being cold and judgmental. How do you receive this view of the Grinch story, and how does it impact your understanding of Christmas? Um, and again, I, I don't since you may not remember <laughs> the Drew Carey, I think uh, I think it does. The Drew Carey movie does have 
if Drew you, Carey? Jim Carey. God, was it Drew Carey? It's Jim Carey. Drew Carey is Drew the Cleveland guy. Yeah, the, yeah, he's the Cleveland the guy who does uh, Price is Right. Yeah. Took over for Bob Barker. That's right. He's Come on home. down. <laughs> you think he would have made a good Grinch? <laughs> who, Bob Barker? No, oh, Drew Jim. Carey. <laughs> Barker. Wow. We have to, I should have just let it go. Yeah. Bob Barker Bob actually would have made a great who because he could have told the Grinch, like, come on down. That's You're true. the next contestant on <laughs> Who's, Who'sville. Who'sville. He yeah. kind of looks like a grandpa who. Yeah. Too. He's got that look to him. Right. Wow. No, uh, <laughs> Jim Carrey. It's not Drew Carrey. I know it's Jim Carrey. Um, wow, too many Carries out there. Um, anyways, I think the Jim Carrey film um, of The Grinch does create a. Uh, Big a lot for your sympathy for the Grinch, um, especially too as I was telling. There, there's like a whole backstory, and you're like, "Wow, they treated him like a jerk!" And wow, like it makes sense why he's in a mountain all alone because they all conspired against him. And so there's a sense of the Who's hold a responsibility for creating the Grinch mm. in the movie. So um, there's definitely a lot of sympathy for that, and I think also too. Not just from that film, but the Grinch in general. I think there's <clears throat> the same things that made the Grinch upset. The Christmas fluff is what I would say, too. There's just so much Christmas fluff around the season that, again, like we were talking about before, that have nothing to do with crisis. Just corporate, American tradition. Like, Christmas is going to look different in every country. It's always funny because um, my girls love uh, the show called Bluey. And they're in Australia, and when they celebrate Christmas, it's like summertime. So they talk about Christmas swim and Christmas barbecue, and like <laughs> it's not like winter. And I think he mentions actually in the book about how you know, Christmas is different in other places. And I think he actually mentions Australia. Yep. Um, so it's just like Australia, and I, I listen to an Australian podcast, and like people forget like it's incredibly hot in December <laughs> for our Christmas. So it's just. Um, funny, um, so so much of the Christmas fluff that exists where we're at today in America and stuff just doesn't exist elsewhere, and mm-hmm. so it's trying to get to the core of Christmas, which no matter where you are in the world, what's the core of Christmas that's going to stay intact, and all the little fluff around the edges, um, which becomes too important, um, can distract us from what the core should be, so I think those, those are things that, um, impact for like the Grinch was upset about because um, he thought that was what it was all about until he took everything and um, saw that the Who's were actually genuine people mm-hmm. but even though in, you find out the more genuine people in the original telling of the Grinch but in the Jim Curry telling of the Grinch the Who's are not genuine like they are all about the stuff until when he takes everything until the little girl starts singing or something, and mm. then they're like, oh, yeah, wait, Christmas is actually about this. But I don't know, in the, the original telling, they might have always had more of a genuine, honest view of Christmas. And the Jim Carrey one, they really show, like, the Who's are basically, like us, lost in the, right. in the fluff, so. Yeah, Cindy Lou, who's the only Yeah, so Cindy Lou. <laughs> yeah, Cindy yeah. Lou, yeah, so. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and, and, like, I already admitted i 
don't know that I have a, a good recollection of the Jim Carrey version, but Jim yeah. Carrey and, and Cindy Lou Who, you and know, Cindy Lou Who, yep, I and know her fame. What's her song that "Where's Christmas" or something like that Is got that really popular in the movie? Yeah, or really? something like that. Yeah. Huh. I know they speak. The book actually talks about how uh, Dr. Seuss created like a new language, and that's mm. where he came up with the the lyrics for some of the songs that they uh, sing. If they <laughs> if you can consider them songs, or I guess they are. They're just oh yeah, the, when there's a oompa doompa whatever, right? That yeah, last <laughs> <laughs> nice oompa loompa, oompa, something like that. Yes. <laughs> wow, we've gone from Drew Carey to Bob Barker to oompa loompa. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Christmas time, folks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, in the Jim Carrey version, the Who's are, as Stephen shared, a little bit more like us, and, and the Grinch is still, I think, a despicable character, yeah. but uh, you're, you're made to feel a little empathy for him and question, you know, how this might have uh, become the way it is and, and who is to blame and Really, it's like a microcosm of looking at life in general. Like in every any situation where somebody in the world is not behaving or doesn't have the right attitude that that people would want them to, you know, we all step back and we ask, okay, who's to blame and who's responsible, you know, for fixing it? And I think you you could take this off into like political discussions and you can go anywhere with it. But um, it, and the truth is, is it. You know, is it the Grinch's fault? Is it the Who's fault? And and the real answer is yes. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's everybody's fault. But um, I think the lesson here to learn is that any Grinch in our lives. When I say Grinch, I'm not just talking about people who get grumpy at Christmas, but people who uh, maybe have a, an attitude that's less than desirable, or or are a little selfish, or or greedy, or um, or spiteful, or whatever uh, you know adjective you want to throw in there they are who they are for a reason and that doesn't mean that their words and behaviors are not their responsibility but it also means that it's our responsibility to uh, try to bring the love and warmth warmth and and light of christ to them and their situation and at least from what i know even of the jim carrey version uh, but definitely the the original there the who's aren't doing anything uh, particularly helpful uh to bring the grinch out of his grinchiness or to uh you know fix his his loneliness his isolation they're just kind of doing their own thing so i think it's a you know whoever you you want to blame for at the end of the day it doesn't matter the question is how are we going to respond what is our responsibility as as christians in that situation and um, seeing the story from that light, from that angle, um, I think highlights most importantly the the true message of Christmas and the true task of Christians at Christmas, which is to, yes, be uh, thanking and praising God for the gift of Jesus, but then recognizing that this gift is intended for all, and we are the now the bearers of that gift, and so we need to find the Grinches in our lives and uh, not sit around and <laughs> grumble about them and complain about them and, uh, you know, push them away and out into, uh, you know, Mount Crumpets so that we don't have to deal with them, but instead bring the light of Christ to them and try to uh, help their hearts grow three sizes and be ready for others to do the same for us because we we may think that uh, everybody else is the Grinch in the story and other people may think it's us and we need to 
uh, had the, the humility that we need to see uh, the reality that both be true. So, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting angle to, to view the story from and, um, and beneficial for us to do so because we can grow a little bit in the process. The next question, um, also from chapter two, is in what ways do the Christmas traditions of our church and or our families uh, truly represent the Christmas message, and in what ways do they not? Matt Rawls spent some time in his chapter talking about uh, some of the traditions of his church. He references some of the things his family uh, does around Christmas time, and <clears throat> and um, it begs the question: you know, are we really remaining uh, pure in in the message and and truly highlighting? what Christmas is all about with the ways that we remember and celebrate it. And uh, I guess as I look around me, I think that um, we, there's, it's, it's really a mixed bag, but I think we could certainly do better. Uh, we, and we've already covered some of these concepts already. The, the whole notion of gift giving is something that um, I don't think is, is wrong in and of itself. I think it can be beautiful. I think it can be glorious. Um, but I think somehow we have to figure out how to give the glory back to Christ and how to ensure that we are uplifting the notion of giving over that of receiving. And of course, to give, somebody's got to receive, <laughs> you know, so um, there's that, there's that challenge. So what does it look like? Does it mean we we just start uh, only giving to those who who um, don't have the ability to give back, or do we put the focus 100% on, on the kids and give them a, that experience of, of love and, and uh, truly being uplifted in the season? Um, I don't know, but I, I know the gift-giving portion of it needs some work. Um, but even as the church, uh, I was actually challenged the other day, not by it wasn't intended as a challenge but i was convicted in a conversation i was having with the advent study that i'm a part of when we started talking about the things we do to celebrate christmas here at rocky river methodist and um i felt like uh, perhaps there was more we could do to make it a season of um, not just giving but uh <clears throat> of of really sacrificing going out of our way to um, to interact with and uplift people who are down, people who uh, don't have what we have. And so I think our, our church does some wonderful things. We, we collect some items and, and put them in the hands of people who need them. Um, and uh, we, you know, we worship and we, uh, we have warm fuzzies around being together and allowing the Spirit of God to move in our midst. But, uh, you know, I, I wonder if there are more opportunities we could embrace. And so maybe a challenge for others out there to, to dream and, and come back to us with some new ideas to, to look at down the road here as a church. Um, but I think our worship times are, are very uplifting and, and Christ-centered. Um, but I think there's more we could do in the action category and, and our, our families as well. Um, you know, I, I kind of... Uh, my wife tends to be better at this than I am, but uh, the idea of, <clears throat> of really not just exchanging gifts within our family, but looking for people outside our family that we can come alongside and, and bless with gifts, uh, you know, a little generosity or bring them into our fold when it comes to Christmas celebrations and such in, in case they don't have people to celebrate with. Um, so I think I could definitely get better at that. Our family could, our church could. Uh, in general. So a lot to cover, but just a, a quick snippet of my thoughts on that. 
Steven? Yeah, I would say <clears throat> in terms of what Christmas traditions uh, of our church and family to represent Christmas, I think being together is probably, uh, it makes me think of for the church to think of COVID and how we, um, even though COVID disrupted many things, we were still able to find creative ways to be together on Christmas. Um, and I think of what, did we record the Christmas pageant, right? Yeah. Was, that was pretty interesting. And then did you guys preach from the window street or the street window? <laughs> From the church window for our Christmas Eve service? Uh, leading up to it that time. year, actually that year, we the only thing we were able to do was put out the recordings because uh, oh, yeah. both of the pastors had COVID oh, at yeah, the exact right, same time right, on right. Christmas. And yeah. it was about the worst timing possible. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, anyways, I think it still speaks to us um, desiring to um, be together. And I think that's always the closest tradition of Christmas, but I also like, I just think of um, what you said earlier, I think giving, the act of giving is more what Christmas is about than receiving, and I think um, that tradition um, is, is truly represents Christmas, but I think, I guess the thing that represents Christmas, the best tradition is worship, um, worshiping of Jesus, um, and I know it's cliche, but Jesus is the reason for for the season, um, as cliche as to say that. Um, and to be honest, as as hard as it, when I think about it now, as I think on top of my head, it's just actually really hard actually to make Jesus the reason for the season because it just becomes, and then us working at a church too, like our the workload picks up. There's more to do. There's more more things going on, and then the family stuff picks up, and then there's school is ending and. I mean, there's just so many things going on during the Christmas season that you, again, it sounds cliche, but it's just easy. Jesus just becomes something in the back background. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the giving and the spending time together and, and, and the worship that is the Christmas traditions that truly represent Christ, the Christmas message. Um, yeah. Next question I have. Um, again from chapter two, um, Matt Rawl talks about his name Matt. Yeah, Maddie Matt. Um, <laughs> you guys, are, you guys are pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Um, describes um, bringing a Christmas tree from outdoors into our home as breaking the lines of order that we as humans depend upon. The incarnation, in many ways, does the same thing. What can we learn from this concept? concept how do we need to intentionally disrupt the order of our lives to truly experience christ um that's a good i i I feel like with these questions especially this one you know it requires a lot of self-reflection um and a lot of intentionality i I, because i think intentionally disrupt the order of our lives to truly experience christ yeah, you, know, you have to do. In some ways, I feel like you do the things you do, but yet you do it with a different motivation, a different eye. I kind of like what you said about Quinn. Like it's looking out beyond your own family and beyond yourself, and and seeing others around you. Um, I like what he said in in um, on page sixty four. 
he talks about the Pharisees. He talks about John the Baptist and they call him the brood of vipers and that um, they need to like take an axe <laughs> to the tree in, in essence. Um, and so I kind of, it's a very violent way of thinking, but sometimes you need to take a root. Um, let, me, let me quote what he says. He says, over time, as our Christmas celebrations lean into our own preferences and traditions, uh, we just might need an axe at the root of the tree in order to bring us back to pointing towards Christ instead of ourselves. Um, and I think as <laughs> I agree with that statement, um, but like, you know, carrying that same metaphor, an axe to the tree, that's it's very hard and very painful to change traditions that are held for so long. And sometimes it's like you, and this happens in general, um, in churches and family lives, that sometimes we need to question the traditions that we have and see, do the traditions no longer represent what they originally meant to? And do we need to return back to that, you know, that original meaning, um, kind of um, have, a, have a restart um, to look back? Uh, yeah, that's how I would answer that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think <clears throat> it, it's, you know, so of course, some of the things that we do are not necessarily uh, what God would have us be focusing on in life, but it's, I think the, the issue isn't as much what we do in life, but why we do it and, yeah. and correcting that kind of from the inside out. But I don't know, when I ponder this question, and, and I actually love that metaphor that Rawl brought in, to the uh, book about the idea of how we as human beings have become so accustomed to hiding from the great outdoors we want this clear barrier between us and and the forces of nature and you know we never want to be cold when it's cold outside or hot when it's hot outside we want to be comfortable we want to be isolated from um, all of the unpredictability of it and the discomfort of it and so we create these barriers and we insulate our homes and we put heat and air conditioning. And, but then at Christmas, you know, what do we do? We, we go outside and we chop down a tree and then we bring it into our house and plop it in our living room. Yeah. And, uh, and for at least a few weeks, we're looking at something that is born of the outdoors and, and living in our home and bringing joy to us and you know, maybe a few bugs with it too, and maybe it's it's breaking down those those walls a little bit. Um, but then, of course, after a few weeks and after the holidays over, it, it dies. It can't survive in that environment. So, I, the metaphor is is neat, I think, and it, it can take us really deep if we want to go really deep. But the way I guess I would phrase it, I you know, a lot of people get talk about getting stuck in ruts and, and getting uh, just in, in these um, funks in life or stuck in bad habits or whatever the case might be. And I can't help but in some ways see all of life as one big rut of like worldliness and, um, and just our, our self-centeredness and sinfulness and materialism and all of those things wrapped up into one and, and just trying to be in this world and not be of this world is so difficult that um, we are constantly either living in or just getting pulled back into this rut of worldliness and shallowness. And, and we as Christians have to be um, at the very least open to, if not seeking out things in, in life, uh, in our faith that can 
draw us out of that rut, that can jolt us back into seeing things through God's uh, lens and through God's uh, perspective and somehow launch ourselves back out of that rut. And I see Christmas and the message behind it and the story of this, uh, you know, virgin, like 14-year-old girl and this old carpenter dude, you know, living in, in Nazareth and what good could ever come from Nazareth, right? And then going to Bethlehem of all places to, to have this child in an animal trough and, and, oh, it happens to be God taking on human flesh. Like I see this whole story and the concept of Christ, uh, Jesus, uh, as the, the Son of God coming into the world to, uh, to cover the, the sins of the world. It is like the greatest um, jolt that a person could possibly receive to the notion of being stuck in that root of worldliness. It's exactly what we need. It's like the Christmas tree that belongs outside, that's brought inside, that can be our jolt, our reminder of, of what beautiful things are outside of the rut that we're just not living into and experiencing every day. And for me, it's a, it's a challenge. The incarnation itself is a challenge to see things outside of the box and to try new things. And no, I don't mean like hang gliding. I mean, you know, challenging myself to break free from some of the, the um, places that I'm stuck in life and to, uh, you know, live in a new habits, new healthy ways of, of even uh, celebrating Christmas. Like how refreshing would it be to have a year where um, I receive nothing and I give everything or, you know, instead of, sitting around and feasting on Christmas, my family is uh, somewhere serving a community meal uh, to other folks, you know, so it's easy to say these things is a lot more difficult because of the rut uh, that we're all stuck in to make them reality. But um, I love the the concept that Raw brings up here and this, this notion of uh, finding that jolt to break free from the order uh, of life that we are stuck in so often as human beings. So, uh, we went all over the place today, and I hope you enjoyed the ride, and uh, Drew Ke or, uh, Steven is, uh, <laughs> is going to wrap us up and send us on out, and we'll be back again for chapters three and four later on. Yeah, so thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully that was um, um, enlightful and delightful and, and full <laughs> of gratefulness. And uh, hopefully some, some, of you, some of you listening here are part of other Bible studies, Advent studies that are going through this book. And um, so the whole church is just kind of consumed around this, the book and the Grinch. And, and I think it's just, I think it's been a, it's been a, a good read and a good just time of um, having a church doing the same thing and receiving the same material. So um, thank you all for listening and uh, hear from the guests hear from us again soon. Thanks.